Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Crisis Management. I'm Alicia Sikirska. This is a show dedicated to helping businesses navigate their way through the coronavirus pandemic. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Canadian Airlines launching their own COVID-19 testing pilot projects. We're also going to be talking about Dollarama's latest results and why executives are a little bit worried about Halloween. And we're also going to talk about Walmart's latest move that's taking aim at Amazon. And for the fix, we're going to dig into e-commerce and what businesses should be doing to make sure they have that right and that customers return to them and keep shopping with them online. So to get through all this, I'm joined by Mark Satov. He is a strategy expert and founder of Satov Consultants, and he's here to help us find ideas and solutions for businesses that are dealing with the pandemic. Mark, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here, but we are in the throes of the U.S. Open, uh, and so I did. I was able to squeeze the show in today, but I do hope we at least have one tennis angle on one of the stories. But I, I do like the stories oh. for the record. So <laughs> we're so grateful that you've made time well, for you us know, today. At least I can do. And uh, I do have a tennis anecdote that I will All squeeze right, good, in, good, good. but that will be later in the show. First, let's talk about one of my favorite topics. We talk about it a lot: the airline industry. Um, earlier this week, the International Air Transport Association, it's IATA, they're an industry lobby group that represents more than 200 airlines, including Air Canada and WestJet. This week, they've really been pushing for governments to reopen borders for travel. IATA says that border closures and strict quarantine measures like those that we do see in Canada are destroying demand for airlines. Uh, the group recommended three key steps, one of which is to develop COVID-19 testing at airports. And both Air Canada and WestJet are actually starting to develop that testing. Uh, Air Canada announced today that it is launching a COVID-19 uh, testing pilot project starting Tuesday at Toronto's Pearson International Airport. The airline is hoping that the results from that month-long voluntary pilot project will actually help convince the government to ease up on some of the restriction it has. WestJet is also planning on rolling out its own pilot project in the Vancouver airport. Um, Mark, when we look at these trials, um, how critical are they for the airlines when it comes to bringing back that travel demand? I actually think uh, testing is critical for the whole thing. Uh, one of the things I've been saying since the beginning uh, is that we actually will beat this virus when we get to cheap, easy testing. Uh, mm -hmm. Because when you think about it, vaccines are still uh, actually uh, a long shot. I mean, there's a lot of hope and I have hope, uh, but it will take a while. They will not be 100%. Cures are sort of making their way. Uh, but they're obviously not going to be anywhere near 100%. I actually think when we get to the point where we can have quick and easy testing, this virus is much better contained. And so what I think is interesting about the airline story is uh, it will be good for them, but it will be good for everybody. And the more organizations, private organizations, actually look to find ways to do testing at their sites, 
hopefully there'll be more innovation and testing. And when the government is forced to, I'll say, uh, accept those tests and they'll have to validate them, then I actually think society is taking a great step forward in, in beating the virus. So I think for them, it's critical. You know, uh, you know, when you look at the thermometer testing that goes on everywhere or in lots of places, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a great thing to do. It gives people peace of mind. Scientifically, it's not really that valid because there's such a range on what somebody's temperature could be in a given day. Uh, and there's a lag and some people could be asymptomatic. And so I think everybody recognizes that just, you know, doing that scan is not going to be enough. So I think this is a great step. Uh, I, I think they just have to get to the accuracy. Um, you know, there's been a lot of story in the United States about private testing uh, because private testing is widespread there. As you would imagine, a lot of things are privatized in that country. And there have been questions about accuracy in some cases, about prioritization. So, again, if they do this with the government, I think it's a good step. Yeah. Do you think the government should have been the one to to introduce this? I know yes. they've done, you know, contact tracing and and they're, they've got the mask mandate, but it, it does seem like aside from that, I don't know how much they've pushed at the at airports and airlines to uh, make sure that people feel comfortable with flying. So I'll answer that in two ways. I don't think the government should have uh, air travel as its number one priority. I mean, I think it's hindering business mm -hmm. and it's hindering, you know, our enjoyment of life for those of us who like to travel for leisure. Uh, but I think the government has a lot of other priorities. And I think they're too busy bungling the back to school issue, paying people who don't need it and otherwise messing up a lot of things about this to start messing up uh, the airline industry. So I think that, yes, ideally it would be great if they could do that, but I would have rather seen them focus on testing in and of itself, uh, as opposed to the airline industry, and then let the airline industry and other industries benefit from that. Did that sound critical? No, I certainly didn't mean it to. Tell us how you really feel, Mark. Yeah, okay, I'll work on that. <laughs> uh, do you think that there's room for on that the privatization and testing? Do you think that it will uh, we'll see it in other areas as well that p groups or, or industries will kind of take testing into their own hands? For sure. The, the, you know, there are a bunch of questions about testing. It's first of all, how easy is it to understand and administer? So how much do you need either a nurse or a doctor even to uh, get the test done and then get it analyzed? And so that will impact what type of organization could do it uh, and then how expensive, right? And so if you think mm -hmm. about it, if you have a saliva test where you spit in a cup, and the cup, you know, is put on like a, a stick that's sort of with a chemical reactor with like a lot, you know, like like the chlorine thing in your in your hot tub. Uh, that sounds far fetched, but it is what uh, one of the things that's being developed. Well, then you theoretically could do it anywhere. So make it make a reservation at a restaurant and go online and they tell you to test before so that you don't waste time coming to the restaurant. But if it takes, you know, 40 seconds and costs a buck, everybody could do it. Right. I think the mm -hmm. issue is, again, it's got to be easy. And it's got to be easy to be accurate because a lot of things are easy. So you could argue the swab test is easy, but most of us mortals would get it wrong. And if you've done, a, I've been for one, it's actually hard to do. So it's about making it easy to be accurate and cheap. Yeah. Easy to be accurate and be accurate. Right. And <laughs> I'll just sure. say a lot of people are saying, you know, the other thing about these other tests is that those nasal swabs are not exactly fun. Like I didn't find it that bad, but it's not what I want to be doing every afternoon. Right. No, I found it. I, I've had one as well. Um, it, they described it as when you're swimming and you inhale right. water up your nose. That's right. what it felt like for anyone that hasn't had one. Um, but let's move on to the retail sector. Uh, Dollarama reported its second quarter results yesterday and managed to surpass analyst ex expectations, reporting an increased profit and overall sales increase of 7%. 
the company cited these pretty solid results uh, on people staying at home. Customers were buying uh, more seasonal items, things related to gardening, barbecuing, uh, pool items, which are higher margin for Dollarama. Uh, it also saw customers spending more in less trips, which is a trend that we've seen across the retail sector. Uh, but interestingly, executives on the conference call were expressing some concern about the next quarter, uh, which has the Halloween season, which is very important to Dollarama's results. Because of COVID-19, they're just not sure how people are going to approach Halloween, whether they're going to see that much demand for all the different goods and knickknacks that they sell around this time of year. Um, so Mark, I mean, looking at these results, what stood out to you? A bunch of things, actually. Uh, you know, the math on the basket size versus number of trips. So in retail, when we do analysis as a basic thing, you want to know how many trips you're getting per day or, or per period of time, and then how big those trips are in here. They, I think, had a 41% increase in basket size mm -hmm. uh, and a 25% reduction in the number of trips. And so, uh, you know, they're winning on that math, which I think is great. And by the way, I love Dollarama, right? Again, not a client. Uh, I think I think they should find an issue and hire me one day because I'd love to work for them. But I, I admire them. I like the way they merchandise. Their stores are well run. Uh, they're well laid out. Um, and so I think they generally do a good job. I think it is lucky for them that they were deemed as essential. Uh, I think that I think that was a bit of a push, to be honest, but I think they got it. And so that I'm only happy for them. And then based on that, I mean, one of the things is, you know, people I, I actually think enjoy going to Dollar. I mean, it's one of those shopping experiences that is fun. Right. And so I think if you think about a time when we weren't allowed to go many other places uh, and for those of us who felt safe going out, if we could go there, that was a great thing. And so we would consolidate and spend there. Uh, you made a comment about uh, the next quarter and Halloween. For mm. sure, they're worried about Halloween. Uh, and they actually do a very good job at Halloween. They sell a big portion of Halloween candy in this in this country relative to others. Uh, and we recently did a survey. It uh, doesn't matter why, but we recently did a survey of, uh, of Canadian consumers on Halloween, and they are all planning to spend less uh, because there's so much uncertainty. And I think what will happen is they're going to leave the spending until the last minute because you're not going to, on October 5th, uh, order your or go and buy your big you know box of the Nestle candies with the or with the arrows and all the rest if by chance it's going to be canceled and I think there is some chance either it's going to be canceled or you know people are just not going to feel comfortable going so I think they may actually get a portion of the spend but because people are not going to pre-buy uh, I think they'll be conservative so I think there'll be an issue there but listen they're a strong retailer they're doing well they're growing uh, this is a, an inexplicable blip that will happen. Uh, and I think they'll move on. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I wonder if there is room for them to offer a, a mix in the same way that they did clearly through the summer season of, you know, higher margin items, maybe it's not the Halloween candy, they have something else, I don't know, decorations or, or something that uh, might help bridge that gap if people are not sending their children door to door <laughs> looking for candy in the middle of a pandemic. The, the problem is they need to hurry up, right? Because they have their, their buying cycles, I'm going to guess, are pretty long, right? Because they are bringing yeah. a lot of stuff from overseas. And I think they're planning and merchandising. They sort of give you the impression that they're sort of bargain hunters. And it's sort of like a job lot business. And how else do you get it for a buck or two? But they have, you know, serious, uh, you know, category management and planning and, and category planning. And so my guess is it's too late to react. Uh, but mm -hmm. I don't know. 
they're not they're not going to sell a lot of greeting cards they're worried about and and here's the view i'm generally one of those people who believes the analog world always will have a place i don't think we need greeting cards anymore that's just a statement i'll just give to you you didn't ask for it i don't think we need greeting <laughs> cards i think they're environmentally a catastrophe they all say the same thing unless you get like a really funny one so i think that's okay just saying. yeah that's one we'll we'll hit that when we get to the the christmas holidays all right, okay. which they I'll actually hold, also I'll mentioned <laughs> they also actually mentioned that one on the call and that one too was similar to Halloween. They're just not really sure what's going to happen. So don't, um, but don't, moving on to our, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm going to move on to our final topic here. Yeah. Mark really does love Dollarama. Um, but Walmart announced this week that it is going to be launching a new membership program called Walmart plus it will launch in the U S um, and offer free unlimited, unlimited, free unlimited delivery uh, that is as fast as same day, um, as well as discounts at the company's gas stations and the option of skipping checkout lines in store. This is obviously in the US. Um, we'll see if and when it does come to Canada. It's going to cost $98 a year, $12.95 a month. And it is, of course, a direct response to uh, Amazon Prime, which has been just so lucrative for the company. It has 150 million subscribers. Um, I saw a pretty good headline from the Detroit News that said, 15 years later, Walmart launches its answer to Amazon Prime. Uh, I really like that one. Do you think this is going to help Walmart make up ground in its fight against Amazon? I, I, I'm just mad that I didn't come up with something funny like that. That is great. Um, so yeah. uh, I did analyze this uh, in some detail. You know, Walmart is playing catch up to Amazon and they keep playing catch up. And it's the type of thing where when you're in catch up mode, uh, you just stay in catch up mode. So they decide that they're gonna launch this, you know, per that very funny quote, uh, 15 short years later, they did, you know, they launched this thing. But if you're trying to gain share, why don't you have some courage and price it really aggressively and gain share? Walmart is uh, a great company in many ways. It's a company people love to hate. I don't hate them. They actually have the power to do a lot of great things given their scale. Um, but they're not really risk takers in many ways. And so when you think of it, it's sort of like, okay, forget about how long it took. Why did they come out and say, okay, everybody, we're doing it for 60 bucks for a year, right? And obviously, obviously they would lose money on the margin. So Amazon loses money on the shipping uh, from Amazon Prime because people spend more than that, especially when you buy, you know, a very small thing and have it shipped. Uh, and they also throw in Amazon Prime uh, video and the gaming and all the rest. The way they make money is that those people will tend to spend more, right? And so they have proven that it's causation, not correlation. Uh, I've not done their analysis, but I'm assuming they have. Uh, but if Walmart were really aggressive, they'd say, we're going to price it at 60 bucks. We're going to steal back 50 million regular customers from them and we're going to go for it. But they didn't. They also don't have the video. And for Amazon Prime, it's like here, it's kind of like, you know, when you watch the infomercials that and you also get the steak knives, right? It's sort of like you get all this great service and you get the free shipping in same day and discounts on this. And you also get essentially a Netflix lookalike for free on top of it. And so it's amazing value. And so what does Walmart do? Uh, they say, well, we're going to give you five cents off of gas, five cents. And don't don't for Canadians, don't equate that to five cents off of gas in Canada because it's five cents off per mm. gallon. Uh, and gallons are much larger than liters, 3.78 to be exact. Uh, and so that equates to $32.80 a year. So it's actually significant if you assume that they're going to get the gas customer. So they want the gas customer. Uh, the other thing that I noticed uh, in analyzing this is 
they made uh, they made one of the features an eligibility for scan and go, right? So scan and go, mm -hmm. meaning you get into the store, you don't have to check out. And I thought of the rental companies when I looked at this, because if you travel a fair bit as I do, you notice that uh, it's very easy to get status in any rental car company. And the reason it's easy to get status in any rental car company is that it's actually cheaper for them, not just more value for you. So when you're an Avis preferred member, assuming that they didn't like mess up your credit card or your driver's license, which happened to me, you don't have to go and line up the Avis counter. You just go and get your car and get in and drive away. And they make it seem like a perk, right? Which is what Walmart is doing. But what they're actually doing is taking cost out, right? What they're actually doing is they're saying, we want everybody to pay a little bit of money to be part of this club, and then we're going to eliminate cashiers. So in general, it's a good move. Are they giving outstanding value? No. Are they giving enough outstanding value to say that they're aggressively trying to win share uh, back from Amazon? No, but it's good. Yeah. So basically, I mean, it is cheaper than Amazon Prime, uh, but as you meant, not too much. Um, I think Amazon's just at uh, over a hundred bucks, whereas here, this is just under. So basically you think it should offer more cost less in order to take perhaps a bite out of Amazon. Yeah. It's, it's it, like I say, it's not necessarily a bad thing to do. It's just not, mm -hmm. you continually look at Walmart and you, and, and say, okay, well, they're making a move. You don't say they're making a bold move, right? Like look how late they were to e-commerce and then they bought jet. Uh, and that really didn't go anywhere. They're just, they're, they're not aggressive enough. Uh, and I don't think they're going to lose because I think they're always going to have a place. Uh, but they're, they are losing share of Amazon and they will continue to. Yeah. I mean, that headline said it all, right? Fifth took them 15 years to figure out its response. Um, okay. Let's move on to the next segment of the show where we discuss some of the issues that businesses are facing and get your ideas and solutions for the fix. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get your advice and dig into some of the issues that businesses are dealing with. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic changed how people were shopping, forcing businesses and consumers to go online. E-commerce sales have hit record levels. A report from IBM found that the shift to online shopping has accelerated by five years. Um, Statistics Canada says that online shopping, uh, online sales have more than doubled. And when you look at some specific retailers, it's much more than that. Canadian Tire's most recent quarter saw e-commerce sales surge 400%. Now, with this growth comes a challenge of e-commerce fulfillment. That is the process that gets the item that you order online to your front door. So Mark, let's talk about that behind the scenes process, which is so critical to making sure that customers have a good experience with you online and, and want to shop with you again. So what are the most important things that, to keep in mind when it comes to e-commerce fulfillment? What is the fix? Okay. So uh, it's a great question. And so I think what we're getting at is we're beyond the question of if e-commerce, it's really how e-commerce. And uh, mm -hmm. as a reminder, I know I say this a lot, 
when people say we've had five years of e-commerce adoption growth in a few short months, uh, that is not necessarily uh, an inflection. It may be a partial inflection and a partial blip, right? And so I do think they will come back down. Uh, and I do think people need to think about that when they plan for the future. But I've said that before. So I want to focus on the how. And I, I do want to start the how with the customer acquisition. And so you, you, you started it with fulfillment. But if you think about the customer journey, it starts at acquiring the customer. And what we're going to talk about is what, you know, the decisions that a company has to make along the e-commerce value chain. And they have to start to make decisions at customer acquisition. And although it seems simple enough, it's actually in many ways, the trickiest because it's very expensive. I've been saying this for years, e-commerce is efficient. It's efficient for Facebook and it's efficient for Google. And for small uh, uh, providers, retailers, manufacturers, service providers to figure out how to efficiently acquire a customer online uh, is not easy. And uh, Facebook, most people will tell you today, uh, you know, I have friends who are media buyers and large agencies and small businesses. Most people will tell you, Facebook is by far the most efficient customer acquisition engine, which is why no matter what everybody says about their politics, they're going to be here for a long time. And the boycotts were very quick and uh, short lived, I should say. But you need to figure out uh, how to sort of buy keywords on uh, Google, how to manage your ad spend on Facebook. And if you are moving existing customers to uh, online, you have to be careful about not moving them online completely. So that's the sort of uh, acquisition part, I'll call it. And then you need to move through toward to order management, right? And order management is also not easy. So if you think about some of the, uh, I'll say, digital services that we buy, uh, and if you think about the early days of Apple, uh, when you would buy something online and get it shipped, try to call the customer service desk at Apple, uh, which I did. Uh, and somebody laughed at me when I told them because I said it was the worst customer service experience I've ever had. Uh, and try now today to have a bad experience with Uber and call somebody and tell them about it. Like, I'm sure you've, you've tried it. Like, don't even bother. They are rotten. Right. And so one of the things you need to be careful about is, um, if you have, a, a, an existing business, that's an analog business and you have relationships with customers and you're then moving them online or getting new customers online, you don't want to taint your brand with a, a poor customer service experience. And people, you know, we were before the show, we were all sharing our stories about uh, different <laughs> orders that went bad, like the like, you know, the, the the six bunches of bananas instead of six bananas and <laughs> all these things that happen. You still need somebody to call or you need your response to be very good uh, in mm -hmm. terms of how you respond. So you need to think very carefully about how you do order order management. Then you need to think about the actual fulfillment, which is which is putting things in boxes and putting boxes uh, in the mail uh, and uh, getting them out to customers and then the returns. And we've been talking about returns in e-commerce for years. Uh, one of the greatest barriers to uh, people actually adopting e-commerce is the fear of returns. What am I going to do when it doesn't fit? What am I going to do when it's not right? They've made it a lot easier. And that's part of also the reason why I think Amazon has been so successful. They've really figured out that return process and right. made it as as seamless and as easy as possible. I know that I've ordered things on Amazon um, and, and had the wrong size. And I, it was no problem for me. Like, oh, just order it and the next size up. That's fine. Like, I, I knew right. the process would be seamless. So I wasn't afraid of ordering an item multiple times just to make sure I had 
the right size. So yeah, I think returns, it's a huge part of it. And I'm happy you mentioned Amazon because it's, it's, it's easy for Amazon to do it. It's really hard for others to do it, right? And so uh, you need to think about uh, if you're capable of doing that yourself. And of course, uh, we're going to talk about now the, the, the decisions you need to make about whether you do this yourself. And I, and I described the different steps. You could decide to insource or outsource any of those. You could say, I'm going to do customer acquisition myself because I'm good at marketing. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to outsource the shipping, right? So you'll make different decisions. Amazon and Shopify together can do a lot for you, right? Remember that if you uh, provide, make, make goods or, you know, you're a manufacturer and you decide you're going to be on Amazon and you can be on Amazon in three ways, you could sell them your goods and they'll resell them. Uh, they, uh, they could, you could be on their marketplace so they could facilitate uh, people buying their, your goods um, and they could do FBA fulfillment by Amazon where they're actually going to manage the warehousing function. But going with Amazon in, in mass merchandise is sort of like uh, going with Loblaws to sell food. You need to do it if you're going to be a, ser- a serious player, but they're going to get the better of you. Right. Like, let's just remember, here's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. You're going up against a giant. <laughs> they're going to copy your product and they're going to negotiate you down to nothing. Right. And so you need to think about if you want to stay small and you think you can manage it yourself and you don't have aspirations to be very large. Uh, yeah. You know what? You, you may you may avoid them. But if you want to be big, you probably need a strategy for how you're going to deal with them. And you sort of need to accept some of what's going to happen. And like I say, similar to the food business with blah, blah. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to really lose my shirt on this. And then I'm going to make money in all the other volume I do. They're going to make me into a brand that people know they're going to give me volume, fill my factory, whatever it is. And then they're going so to, so what are your options if you don't want to go with, with Amazon, with blah, blah for this kind of thing? Well, I mean, it, de- it depends for which aspect. And so uh, Shopify will do the fulfillment for you. Shopify uh, is a different player than Amazon in the sense they don't have a marketplace. They just have services. So they help you get uh, your your e-commerce engine going, your payment stuff. They'll help you build a website that makes sense. They will do fulfillment, but they, they are tiny compared to Amazon. So again, if you want to be small, you could get Shopify to build your website and get your payment. You could hire a small agency to help you do customer acquisition. Uh, you could do another third-party logistics provider to either drop ship uh, or you know receive your stuff and, and ship it back to you and you ship it to the customer, various different models. Uh, and I say Shopify could be that provider. So you don't have to, but again, depending on the good category, uh, Amazon just has so much of the volume, right? And so the mm-hmm. issue, the issue is, you know, who do you want to use and, and how big do you want to be? Right. I mean, yeah. a, a lot of people ship, we talked to a Canada post. I mean, you could ship your parcels, to the Canada post, you could ship your parcels, UPS. There are a lot of different ways to get it done. The question is how much do you want to just manage the marketing and product development Versus do you want to manage the whole thing and where these third party providers get you is we're going to manage everything for you. You don't have to worry about anything, but, you know, running the rest of your business, but they're doing it to make a profit. So Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, we saw a lot of, I think businesses adapt to that e-commerce through, um, particularly the early days of the pandemic when they had to shut down and then really turn to online. And so they were able to turn their storefronts that were closed into kind of micro fulfillment centers. But now that they can open back up, it's a bit of a challenge because you want to keep that space for your, you know, the bricks and mortar for physical uh, shoppers to come in. So you don't have that for online. And it's why you have to often turn to, to 
players like Amazon. Uh, there's so much to talk about here, but I'm going to leave that there because I do want to get to that tennis anecdote that you had mentioned Finally. at the top. Finally. Um, I know you love tennis. So let's start with this. Let's talk about Wimbledon. Uh, according to reports, the association that operates and runs Wimbledon, um, the Grand Slam tennis tournament in England, uh, they've been paying $2 million US per year for the last 17 years on a thing called pandemic insurance. Now, I feel like a year ago, people might have laughed at the fact that they spent $34 million um, towards this, but not anymore. Uh, the organizers reportedly received a $141 million payout because the event was obviously canceled due to COVID-19. Um, so Mark, let's talk about pandemic insurance. Is this something that businesses should be looking at right now? I think it's very complex to think about uh, what will happen if insurers, broadly speaking, adopt this. You know, there's a sort of cycle that you talk about when you look into what people say about pandemic insurance. It sort of goes through this sort of panic neglect cycle, right? So when something happens, people panic and everybody buys it. And then people mm -hmm. neglect it for a while. And I think that uh, Wimbledon was uh, prescient in their uh, decision uh, but it only looks like that in hindsight, because if they went another 20 years, yeah. some consultant would have come in and tried to chop expenses to improve profitability. They say, what's this $2 million you've been paying? Um, the, the issue with uh, property and casualty insurance, which is different than life insurance, is that it is meant to cover events that could happen for a certain percentage of the population. And it's essentially saying, OK, there's some percentage chance that it's going to happen to some people. If everybody pays a little bit and then we, well, then we have to pay only to a certain number of people, then we'll make enough of a profit. And of course, uh, on a weighted average, we're going to make a profit as an insurance company, which they're entitled to. Um, but the problem is pandemics happen to everyone when they happen. And war, like it's like a war. You can't insure a war because wars happen to everyone. And so if they give blanket insurance for the pandemic, for all sectors of society, everybody pays in. It won't be like typical property and casualty insurance. It'll be like a savings fund. It's kind of like we assume that every 30 years we're going to have a pandemic that's going to cost the economy, you know, a trillion dollars. And so every year we're going to put in a 30th of a trillion dollars plus a, an absurd margin for the insurance companies so that they could mm -hmm. um, they could provide that money back when it happens. And so I think it's unrealistic to assume that we're going to have broad pandemic insurance and what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a couple of players to emerge as experts in the category. And I'm really looking for the reinsurance players to say that they have a formula to figure it out because most insurance, especially property and casualty insurance is reinsured, right? And so the insurance company is reinsuring and they still are taking some risk in there. But if the reinsurers like Munich and Swiss are not going to back this, uh, you're going to have a problem. And if Lloyd's uh, is not going to build syndicates that are going to back it, uh, Lloyd's has a slightly different model, it's going to be hard to imagine it's going to be widespread. The main thing I would tell businesses, it's complex. Uh, be careful. I have a fantastic insurance broker. Uh, I go to him for lots of things. I'm not sure I would go to him for this because it's specialized and I would want to read the fine print and I want to talk to somebody who knows the fine print so I don't become like, the dentists in uh, Vancouver who uh, were not treated well by Aviva until they eventually caved, I think, and gave them because it was pandemic insurance. They still found a clause or a reason not to pay. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, perhaps uh, 
wait out COVID-19, see what happens next, because there is still a lot of uncertainty and, and we're we're still in the midst of this. So um, perhaps don't need to get it just yet. Uh, but Mark, that is all the time that we have for today. If you want to reach and watch this episode again or get more news about the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic, please check out Yahoo Finance Canada's website. And we also have Crisis Management as a podcast. You can download, listen, and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you have any questions for Mark or feedback about the show, please feel free to email me. I'm at alicja at yahoofinance.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.